another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me, as always, is Mr. Chris Halstrom. How are you today, Chris? I'm doing very well, thank you, as Wee. always, just about all the time. How are you doing? I'm hanging on the edge, or as the old Aerosmith goes, living on the edge! Yeah. Of, of wanting to pass out right now. <laughs> no, I know you've had a, uh, we're, we're taping this yes. out of sequence of what we normally do. So if you're listening to this on a Friday, doesn't matter to you, but Jody's tired. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. I'm so going to get let, punchy probably. So let's just punch right in on this, shall we? I was going to say, yeah, let's dive right in. So we're, we're talking creation of and the use of mixed templates. Yeehaw, baby. Why do you have a mixed template, Chris? I do it because I like to keep things organized to have everything the same each time. And it just makes my mixing a lot easier and smoother if I don't have to route things the way I always do every time I set it up, inserts, session layouts, all that kind of thing. It just helps me to have familiarity. It's your anal retentiveness, eh? I cannot deny that that plays a certain part into it. Right. But more importantly, I think it's familiarity of, yeah, of always having tracks in a certain order and all that kind of stuff. Sure thing. What about you? Because you, you have a much more advanced template than I do. But we'll To do an extent, but I think mine differs in some ways that would make it seem a little less anal. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Okay. But I agree with your concept there that you're looking to save time. If you're consistent with your routings of what you're doing, it makes it a lot easier if you're not constantly creating them on the fly every time you open a brand new session. Having a template makes it easier in that you've already pre-routed things in a way that makes sense to you and hopefully makes sense to everything you're working for for the client too. Right. I always try to explain this to people that that might not say, well, why are you doing that? If you think about people when they – used to sit in front of their consoles or people that still sit in front of their consoles, mm -hmm. chances are they have their track layouts the same way, if possible, right, mm -hmm. in the same order like they like to use. They don't want to go searching for, or where or where was my base now again? Was it 13 or 14? No, it's always on five or whatever. That's so that the reason you, why there's that little channel of indentation on a lot of mixing consoles right at the bottom where your forearms would rest is so that you could actually apply tape of some sort that you'd write your notes in on as to what the track was or is. Sure, right. But, but that's also even more important for... It's not always the same guy sitting there, right? Yeah. So that people, different clients and different mixers come in and they have to keep track of their sessions. And I'm a big fan of mixed templates for that reason. And it satisfies my anal retentive tendencies. So, <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, all right. There's something that you mentioned in your little spiel there that I think should be reiterated. The idea of the mixed template in a digital form for a DAW, it breeds familiarity. And as I mentioned, there's that strip in most consoles where you can lay down some tape and you write in what's on the channel strip. And the idea behind that is engineers like to know where that track is. And if they do it the same way every time, it becomes very easy in a muscle memory type of capacity to know that my kick drum is on this channel strip to me, this Snare drum's always here, the bass is always here, the hi-hat's always there, the guitar's always there, the synth is always here, the vocals are always there kind of thing. 
It's just yeah. ease and ease of use and familiarity. I just wanted to reiterate that because some people might change it every time. And I know that early on in my career of mixing with Dawes, I had a tendency to add tracks when I felt necessary and didn't reorder them in any kind of specific order. Yeah. And it makes I, it I'm, difficult to look at those early sessions at this point because it just frazzles my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of course, if you were coming from the era of tape or whatever and you're sitting with a giant console, as, as cumbersome as that might have been, you now frequently can have up towards, if not even going over, 100 tracks. Sure. Right. So to be able to manage that, it can't be guitars are – one, two, four, six, nineteen, and then there's also a bunch in the fifties, right? <laughs> you need to have it sounds dumb when you point it out like that, but that's the purpose of a mix template for me. Yeah. Not only with the processing and everything and the routing and all that kind of stuff. I would agree so, with that. Especially when you've got track counts going well beyond a hundred, hundred and eighty, right. two hundred. Yeah. There are people out there that do that. It's crazy, but I'm one of those that have done it. On more than one occasion. If you're doing scoring stuff and things as well, right, your track counts can just balloon if you're doing whole orchestras. And or just even pop if you're adding vocal like, layering, baby. Absolutely. Mixed templates, I think there's no right or wrong way of doing these, obviously. It's very personal. That would be truth just dropped like a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to agree Maybe with you. you. There's no wrong way yeah, to do your template. I'm, right, There's right. No, ways it, that make it less efficient, but that's entirely sure. up to the person sitting in front of the screen or the console, for that matter, right. in how they want to tax their brain cells in terms of doing right. a mix. I don't know why it makes sense to me this way. I know a lot of people like to see their vocals on the top because it's sort of like the most important part of the mix. Mm -hmm. I go in a different order. I like to think of a foundation. So I got drums and percussion followed by bass instruments, synths, that type of thing. And then I move on to guitars. And in an order that obviously makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't make sense to everybody, obviously, but it doesn't matter because right. it is just that personal thing. What about if you're doing a different type of track, though? Let's say that you're working one day, you're working on an artist mix, a regular sort of pop song, but then you're doing trailer tracks, that kind of thing. How, how does that day change to day for you? For me? Well, it's that, yeah, because if you're going like one day I'm doing this and then the next day, do you have a different mix template for different tasks? I ask already knowing the answer, but <laughs> you know. <laughs> I have more than 10 different mix templates. It could be even higher. It, oh, wow. Yeah, it does go based on a couple of different things. One is what is the client base that is being mixed? So when you say a trailer track or a library or production track or an artist track, that's three different groupings in terms of how I might lay something out in a mix, right? Mm -hmm. The next thing that goes beyond that is I have set up mix templates based on consoles. 
Right, but now you're sort of splitting atoms because I am got, splitting atoms right, because right. in that regard, beyond the type of mixing that I'm doing, I'm also able to control the type of console sound-wise that I am mixing on as I've switched over to a much more console-oriented mixing environment such as mm -hmm. an SSL 9000. Right. A Helios board or a Focusrite board or a Neve board. And I have a plethora of console emulations and I can pick and choose that. Right. Right. Now I'm working through but, an but, album of mixes within, that are production music that are all being done on an API setup. Right. Then within those, yes, they're very similar, I'm assuming. It's just like this one has the API inserted, or yes. this one has the 9,000 or whatever. Right. So right. in other words, yeah. I have essentially X amount of console versions of each variation. So if I'm doing a production track, I've got 12 different console emulations. I have 12 templates based on production music. Then if I am doing artist-related stuff, I have 12 of those. And if I'm doing trailer track style stuff that's all orchestra type, I have 12 of those. So I have... Multiple you don't ever get to tell me or call me anal retentive again. <laughs> that's not anal retentive. That's just being prepared ahead of time to know, okay, I'm kind of thinking that I might want to go for this kind of color on my mix, damn it, <laughs> before. And that saves me a shit ton of time of adding console plugins and the routings. That's the reason for sure. that. Sure. Yeah, to me, if I was going to do that, I would just select all the tracks and change the plugin, but, you know. You could, but then you're yeah. talking extra time right there. Ba, ba, ba. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, okay. Well, I'm not going to argue that point. That might be fun for listeners, but I'm going to deprive them of that. Oh. What do you like to incorporate then in your templates besides the console emulation that, that might be at the That's store? That's it. That's all I start with on that. Really? Yeah. I start strictly with the console arrangement that I'm doing. I don't add particular compressors. I don't add particular EQs. I don't add particular effects ahead of time. Mm. I okay, do interesting. I know you do. I don't. Yeah, I do. Yes. Mm -hmm. I have not a lot. I don't add any compression or any of those tasks apart from what's in the channel strip, obviously. Right. That's there. But I do have some things on my my two bus, my master bus. I have a few processing things that are there. I do add a couple of reverbs that I like to use that that are generally part of every mix. Sure. And it's just bread and butter type of stuff. For like, you. Yeah, for me, right? But it's nothing like, oh, here's the eventide black hole. That's not going to make it into my mix bus. Unless I'm doing like a trailer track or something really special effecty, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm unlikely to use that on a vocal, for example. But I do have some Bricosti and 480 kind of stuff. There's like halls and small rooms, plates, that kind of thing that I'm likely to use in just about every mix. Sure. So now you asked me the question, do I have a different template for each style? Do you? Or do you have yes. just one and done kind of go with your effects that you're talking about right now? It's always kind of evolving, I think, for me. As a matter of fact, I'm about to, to start kind of tweaking a few things because my workflow has changed. Mm -hmm. But I don't worry so much about what console I'm using when I'm doing a trailer track or, or any kind of like library stuff. Mm -hmm. And in those cases, it's more about the routing that I do because I know sure. in those cases – you're likely going to have to produce more than just a stereo track. It's going to be 
different versions and, and everything has to be kind of like stemmed out or different submixes or whatever. So my routing allows for that to be a little bit more of a seamless thing. I'm not as deep into that as yours, as I think we're going to talk about a little bit later. I do have those kind of set up and that's all I have in my, my trailer templates. But more like artist kind of stuff I have. No, it, it's pretty much the same template and then I'll change the console if I if I want to. On an the main one, you're saying? Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. I, I generally start with like a SSL 4000E. Ooh. That's my, I know. Speaking right? of the shiny SSL, <laughs> they're not necessarily our sponsor today, but let's take a word from them. And we're back. And one thing that I kind of cut you off about is the concept of trying <laughs> <laughs> the idea here of foreseeing every possible permutation of what you could use in a mix and throwing it into your template before you even start mixing. This is something that you and I have discussed in the past on the podcast. Yeah. What we used to call this, at least especially in the logic camp of use, was an autoload. Yeah. Where you would foresee everything that you were going to put in to your auto load, as they called it, which would be the first item up for bid as you booted up Logic. And back in those days, and I will say this is my workflow has changed since then, I mixed in the same template that I tracked in. Yeah. yeah I don't do too. that anymore. It's a laughable thing when you look at it now. And I think it came from a sort of honest mindset where you're trying to have everything up and running and foresee anything that you might do. I remember having to dig in heavily into the environment oh, in yeah. Logic. People that buy Logic now, <laughs> yeah, you don't have to do that anymore. I'm glad it's still there if you have to. But yeah, so you don't have to go to that kind of level to set up your mixed template. That was fun. It's just it ended up being a giant time suck in here. <laughs> you didn't necessarily work as much. You just worked on your, your auto load, as it were. But Key uh, phrase yeah. there was the, it was a giant time suck. <laughs> yeah. Cause, but it, it was coming from sort of like a, a pure and honest eagerness to learn how to do stuff. Right. So it was part of that as well. You, you kind of learn how to get around your DAW and things. And in those days, it was a little bit more cumbersome than it is today. Yeah, that's not a fallacy that you just spouted. It's definitely true. And to the way I worked, it helped me really understand logic by doing that. Before we get our tracks converted into our mix template, there's a lot of things that we end up doing. We, we've talked about that in older podcasts, and it's actually in episode 120. So if you haven't heard what we tend to do, you can go and check that out. Skip back to that one and learn how we process that shit. Now, let's drill down a little bit All right. more into what we do. We'll start with mine because I think yours is going to be a little bit deeper. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The way I have, I, I mentioned the processing I have. Right. It's generally just a handful of reverbs, different types of reverbs that are loaded up with presets that I like sitting on the same buses all the time. Yes. So if I know I'm going to add like a haul, that's going to be on send one for me, etc. And I have all my tracks grouped and color-coded the way I like them. 
Pretty. So there's also not just with the track number, but it's a very visual thing for me. My drums will have a certain color. My bass will have a certain color, that, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Easier, again, to navigate larger sessions. I have a little bit of processing on my master bus, which is just some gentle stuff. We've covered that in the Tuesday tip at one point, but it's basically just some bus compression. I'm not talking like L2 level limiting <laughs> stuff here. It's Not clipping the shit out of that? No, no, not if I'm doing my job correctly. I'm not doing that. The last thing I have is sort of obviously everything. The routing is the one that can get. It's not difficult. On the surface, it can seem a little bit weird perhaps. Mm -hmm. I have every group of instruments routed to their own bus. So all the kit pieces, for example, of a drum kit go to a drum bus. I have a bus for percussion. I have a bass bus which you might go, well, bass, if you're just using like one bass, why do that? But it makes sense to me, right? So <laughs> I have a bass bus, I have guitars, keys, and then vocals, backing vocals, and then additional stuff if I need it, like transitions perhaps, or strings, or sound effects, whatever. Mm -hmm. They will have their individual bus. Now, if that makes sense, these are all gonna go into another bus, which would be a music bus, or a vocal bus. Mm -hmm. And then they go to my main out, to my two bus. So I have a little bit more control there if I need to, the vocals need to come up overall, right? Okay, cool. I can do that on, on just my, my vocal out or my music out. Yep. Or if I have a lot of automation already written, right? Mm -hmm. That's a little bit easier. And it's also if somebody wants like an instrumental mix or something, all right, boom, you just mute the vocal bus so just the the music bus will so but but that's pretty much the the stuff that i have it's not that complicated again everything is ordered in the same way in my session layout very little guesswork when it comes to that and then again keyword here is familiarity right so <laughs> always seeing everything and knowing where everything is all right no presets loaded on anything the only thing i have now is a a channel strip loaded uh, at the top of of each sure track that's that console concept right there yep exactly yeah. so now let's dig into yours so now we, we need to get the diagrams out and, and, uh, <laughs> do routing diagram. and stuff. yeah mine is actually in a sense the same as yours i color code things in mm -hmm. terms of their grouping of what they are all of that same 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 mm -hmm. i do groupings into buses all drums and percussion will go to a drum bus. You do you don't the same. You don't separate percussion or drums. No, I leave percussion with drums because it's all percussive material. Okay. Yeah, it's all in the same bus. Bass and any bass object goes into a bass bus. Guitars, same story. All guitars will go into a guitar bus. If there's some sort of crazy extra instrumentation, like a mandolin or some grouping of a banjo or something, generally those kind of guitar-esque like instruments will go into that guitar bus. Hmm. Makes okay. sense. Yep. Same thing with synths. All synths that are not bass-oriented, which would normally go to the, my bass bus, will go into a synth output. If there are orchestral arrangements going on, they will go into an orchestral bus. For all lead vocals, they go to a particular lead vocal bus. For all background vocals, they go to a background vocal bus. Now, 
depending on whether it's going to be production music oriented or if it's going to be artist music oriented, I will leave out the trailer type stuff here. All musical things that are not vocal related will go to, just like you, a master music bus. For my vocal lead bus and my vocal background bus, those will feed into a vocal master bus. And much like you, I can run to a master output. However, I run things a little bit different at this point. <laughs> this is where it starts getting into This is where it starts right? to get into a PhD level stuff. In that, off of my master music bus, off of my vocal master bus, I have multiple sends. And this stems from working in the production music arena. And I apply it to client-oriented artist things automatically. Now, how I would process that prior to these two buses is a little different, whether it's the production music thing or the client-based thing for an artist. But this point is still the same in that I can run seven different outputs of a mix off of these two buses, which means mm -hmm. I do not have things on my master bus, unlike you. Any processing in me. I have yeah. no processing on the master bus like you do. And the reason for that is, is these seven types of mixes. I have the full mix, which is technically like your master bus. I have an instrumental only mix. I have a vocal up mix. I have a vocal down mix. I have a lead vocal only mix with no background vocals. I have a no lead vocal mix that is only background vocals. And I also have an acapella mix. Those all run out at the same time and they are based off of the sends from the master music bus and the vocal bus. It doesn't come across as, well, why do that? Well, it's to save time. Oh, right? it saves so that, a ridiculous amount of time, especially right. in Logic, where to bounce something out, and I bounce things in real time. I do not bounce them in offline bounces for those that work in DAWs. You can choose to do an offline bounce or a real-time bounce. I always do real-time, and the reason for that is, sonically, they come out slightly different. And I feel like, and this is my opinion, and the way I hear things, more depth and clarity happen in the real-time mix. I've done side-by-side, -side, flip the phase, null them out comparisons in Logic back in the day, mm -hmm. and this is where it set my mindset on this, where they don't null out. They should, but they don't. But, but I wonder if that's a real-time versus not I don't know. Like, that's, the, uh, that's the thing, is that maybe the no, math is being done differently because it's not being done offline. I don't know. Well, but I'm thinking it might be simply one of those things where it's, air quote here, analog sounding gear, like reverbs and things that have a certain level of randomization to them. So I wonder if it's that or did you experience that it was larger differences than that would account for. I think it has a lot to do with the reverb tails. They're just different. Yeah. They used to be, yeah. I don't know if they still are. I know that in first trying out Luna, there were actual issues and differences between the offline bounce and the real-time bounce, especially when it came to automation. The automation did not work the same in offline as it did in real-time. They may have fixed that by now, but I don't care. I always bounce in real-time. Right. That's just the way I do it. And to save time when doing real-time bounces, I have that complicated output setup. 
So now you can do seven. <laughs> so now I can do seven outputs in, in the time of one pass, and I don't have to do it seven times. And that's a huge time saver, especially when you're talking about two and a half, three minutes at a pop. You know, right. it like, goes yeah. from being it, which doesn't sound like four a minutes on like one minutes. bounce to being like an hour to do all seven. <laughs> right, <laughs> and then you do that times. 10 or 12 tracks on on, a, on an album know, or whatever and it's right. that really adds up it's insane which is why I came up with a template to be able to do that now to take it a half step further I have changed recently the way I'm doing my mixes as well and this is a production music thing that I will also apply to artist related things when necessary in that I used to provide some processing on the master instrument track and the master vocal track. Just some final, like, 1176 or Fairchild or whatever to give one, one and a half dB of compression, but very light with a slow attack and mm -hmm. a fast release to just kind of control things a little bit, a little bit of glue on each one of those master buses. However, that's changed recently. I now, based on what I'm doing with these current remixes, I'm doing all that on the individual buses, the drum bus, the bass bus, the guitar bus, the vocal bus, the synth bus, the orchestral bus, what have you. That is an additional way to get the bulk stems done at the same time. So not only can I do the seven versions of the mix, I can now do my individual stem outputs for every stemming that I have, all in one big fell swoop and i think that's where you were just like oh my god <laughs> yeah well because the time does add up it's not a huge pain in the butt but if you do this like if you're writing like trailer tracks or you're doing production music every day you will spend a lot of time waiting for your bounces to get done because you're, you're doing that so yeah. it, it is very neat now one thing i um wanted to ask you and i again i i think i know the answer when you say that you do the main mix, as it were, and yep. then a vocal up mix, uh -huh. is it just as simple as on that capture, if you will, on that send, that you just raise the vocal up on the send? Or yes. how do you go about Yeah, It's that simple. The vocal up is up 3 dB. Mm -hmm. The vocal down is down 3 dB. And that's... It just came across to me from somebody that did a lot of TV things before I got really into it that said, oh, well, you need a vocal down version, and that's generally 3 dB down. And you need mm -hmm. a vocal up version, that's generally 3 dB up. So that's where I set it, and I have not changed that. Right. So there's been no need to change it. Nobody's ever complained. <laughs> so right. that's what I do. <laughs> yeah. Just to sort of like cap this off, then I think it's like if you imagine doing all of this type of routing that you do with every track that you mix, mm -hmm. That's a longer time suck than it is to just, you know, wait Have for Have a template the, ready to go. Right, yeah. right. Then to waiting for, like, the real-time bounce to, to end several times or whatever. Mix templates, really, really beneficial, I think. And, you know, they evolve just like yours have and mine. Use them. Make them up. Maybe at some point in the not-too-distant future we'll do a video version of mine. <laughs> I know we sure, probably no, I think that would be very helpful. Because it is yeah. quite the awe-inspiring thing. Everybody that's ever seen him is just like, <gasps> good Lord. Anyway. Okay, yeah. Don't break your arm, patting yourself on the back. No, I'm ready to fall asleep on my arm. 
The idea. Right, so let's, <laughs> let's move up. on to our Friday finds. I would yell it out, but I've already been laughing through it. Kick us off. What are we doing? I have another heaviosity thing. They have a series called Mosaic, which mm. is, you know, instruments that they do, kind of hybrid type of thing. And the new one was just released this week, and it's called Neon. With a name like that, you can kind of tell that it's going to be synthesizers of the past and kind of into the, the 80s type of thing, but in a very, very heaviosity tinged mindset. I'm all about it. It looks really, really cool to me. My Friday find this week is Mosaic Neon by Heaviosity. Sweet. And what, what about you? What do you got? I'm going with a brand new product from Neumann, that Ooh. famous company from over in Europe that makes really awesome audio shit. They recently unveiled their attempt at... An audio interface, the MT-48, or maybe the MT-48. The idea of the MT-48 is that it is a Neumann-designed audio interface. It is a USB-compatible interface that plugs your computer using USB. It has four analog inputs, eight outputs, not all of them analog. They have the standard toss-type things. They have AES connections. It's... A formidable machine. It is made of metal. Mm -hmm. It is a solid piece of kit. And it comes with a solid price of about $1,800 MSRP. <laughs> but it is annoying. So but you know it is annoying. So you know yep. it's going to sound good and it's going to last forever. That is my Friday find for this week. Awesome. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. Doing so will get you weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips when they come out. And you need to be on the mailing list in order to be eligible for any giveaways that we give away. Also, we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of this incredible podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the word template and you will get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page on the website, and we'll make sure to put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say see you next week. Get some rest, Jody. Thanks for listening, everybody. 